Well, hello everybody and welcome back. This is our daily devotional for Thursday, January 18th, 2024, and I am simply delighted to have this time with you. I hope that this finds you doing very well, and if you're up where I am, maybe you've enjoyed looking at the snow. It's it's kind of the best kind of snow. You can look at it out in the yard, and the roads really aren't that bad at all, but I can tell you uh, it is cold, 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 cold as I'm recording this. I don't even know what the high is today. Um, I don't know if we'll get out of the teens even. Um, maybe it'll be lower than that. I, I don't know. Um, I know that this morning when I checked it last, it was five degrees at my house, um, but it's pretty early as I'm recording this and it may drop another degree or two. <clears throat> Nevertheless, it's uh, it's beautiful out there to look at, and the roads are not too terribly bad. So um, it, it's it's amazing how many blessings we have. Blessings like the Department of Transportation, and yes, I said that VDOT. Man, they do a good job taking care of the roads. They're responsive um, for the most part, especially in 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 an area like ours. It's kind of in the middle of nowhere. I'm grateful for neighbors that like to push the snow or that if they don't like pushing snow, they at least do it. Neighbors like Mark, man, I'm telling y'all, he's the best neighbor a man could ever ask for. But anyway, um, that read between the lines. I didn't have to shovel out my driveway yesterday, which was primo nice. So anyway, again, I hope that you have been enjoying yourself and I hope that this finds you well. And I'm glad to be back with you as we continue in our series on the book of Acts. We made it through chapter 18 yesterday, and we're going into chapter 19 today. And remember what's going on here. Paul has has stopped his last missionary journey, right? He, he cut the hair on his head, shaved his head, because he completed his time of separation, completed his vow. And, and previously doing evangelism, planting churches, now looping back around, doing discipleship. And yesterday we asked the question, which is more important, discipleship, training people uh, to follow Christ, or is it evangelism? And the answer to that is yes, because the two really, it's different sides of the same coin. If you're going to have evangelism, you got to have discipleship. Paul himself was discipled at one point, right? So it's the idea of disciples making disciples. That's what Christianity is based on. That, that's how the Lord has designed things to work. So Paul is looping back around. Remember yesterday we found him uh, dealing with, with, with a group of folks. He went into the, to the synagogue to reason with the Jews. They asked him to say, he said, no, but I'll come back if the Lord wills it. He continues on his way. Priscilla and Aquila separate from him. They start helping Apollos. And we learned yesterday about Apollos. I said he was a candidate for the author of Hebrews. I don't know if he is. Nobody, well, God knows who he is. And certainly the one who wrote it that's in heaven knows who it is. And, and But as far as us, it's an anonymous book. We don't know who wrote it. We can make very good guesses. But Apollos is, is, a, is a likely contender. He's a man of means. He's from Alexandria. He's incredibly well-educated and eloquent. That points to the Greek used in writing the book of Hebrews. It's probably the most technical Greek in all of the New Testament. Um, nevertheless, right, it's like high English, okay, the, the way that he writes. But is he? It doesn't really matter. But we know that he's all of these things, but he needs discipleship. That's what we learned yesterday. And it's Priscilla and Aquila that disciple him. He's got a lot of things right, but he's out there preaching the baptism of John. Now, yesterday, we, we just kind of scratched the surface on that, and we talked about a few other things. But today, we're going to dig in a little bit more deeply into what this means. 
okay? Um, and why this is important. So let's go to the Lord in prayer first, and then we'll begin. Our Father, we thank you for this time that you have given to us, and I praise you for everyone that can be a part of it, and I thank you that your word never goes out and returns void. So please, bless us in this time, guide us in this time, that it would be pleasing to you, that your name would be lifted up and glorified. And we pray it all in Christ's name. Amen. Now, before we read, we're getting into a difficult area here, okay? Whenever you start talking about baptism and the Lord's Supper, you got different people from different camps, y'all. I mean, we need to be careful because you have those that consider these sacraments, right? Um, that they are sacred, that they are a means of grace. Some think that they are a means of saving grace. Others think they are a means of God fulfilling covenant promises, grace being bestowed that way. Some view them as ordinances, that you're baptized or that you take communion because God tells you to, right? Along those same lines, there are some that view Baptism and the Lord's Supper is about what you are saying to other people, that in baptism you are declaring that you have repented of your sins and that you have chosen to follow Christ. In communion, you are doing this simply in remembrance of him. That's one camp. The other camp says, no, sacraments are not about what we say to God. It's about what God says to us. It's how he affirms his covenant to us. Now, that's important because we're getting into the realm of baptism today. And let me complicate things just a, a wee bit further. When the New Testament speaks of baptism, there are multiple baptisms that it's talking about. I'll give you an example. When John the Baptist, the baptizer, was out doing his baptisms, the Pharisees came to him and said, why are you doing these baptisms? Some people make the mistake of thinking that baptism was invented in the New Testament, that nobody was doing this before John. It's just not true. Um, Paul speaks of baptism, right? He speaks of baptism in regard to, uh, to the Israelites crossing over you know, through the Red Sea. And it talks about them being baptized in that crossing, right? I would make note, you know, we don't take the, the pouring or sprinkling versus immersion thing too seriously. But I will say there was only one group that was baptized by immersion that day, and it was the Egyptians, not the baptism you want, right? You want the pouring, the sprinkling. But nevertheless, I, I got to joke a little bit about things here. So you have that baptism being mentioned. You have Jesus being ta talking about baptism of the Holy Spirit. We're going to get into that today. And also you have New Testament baptism in the name of Christ. And I dare not forget baptism of repentance referred to as John's baptism. Now, yesterday I hinted at all of these things, okay? I talked about the difference between the baptism that John the Baptist gave, right, prior to Jesus really entering into his public ministry, as opposed to what we in particular here at Old Providence believe about baptism. And you might have heard that, and you might have said, how does he know that that's what John's baptism meant? Well, I know that because, you know, I kind of cheated. I, I read ahead. In fact, I've, I've done a lot of study on this to be able to, to be with you and to do this sort of thing. But I knew it was coming in chapter 19, and, and that exact term is used. Now, I don't want to drivel on, but my point is this, y'all. you got to ask the question. When you run across the term baptism in the New Testament, you've got to ask the question, which kind? 
because there are different times, uh, different kinds. There's baptism in the Old Testament. That's a simple baptism of cleansing. In fact, one could make the argument that when the Pharisees got upset about Jesus' disciples not washing their hands, you, you could make the argument they're talking about them. Hey, why aren't they baptizing their hands? It's the ceremonial cleansing thing. It's not about germs. It was about if they might have accidentally touched a Gentile or ooh, you know, something that would make them unclean. So you even have that kind of baptism. You need to stop and ask what baptism is being talked about here. Now, in our case, it's going to become obvious. Now, Acts chapter 19, verse 1. Remember what Apollos was doing yesterday, right? What we found out. We found out he was a learned man. He taught accurately on Jesus. But, but, um, well, Acts 25, or 18.25. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. Then you find out, uh, next verse, when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. Again, Apollos was in need of discipleship. He needed theological training. That's what they do for him. Now, that's the paradigm from yesterday. We know that Apollos has been going around. We know that he's been preaching and teaching eloquently with fervor. And now we're dealing with the aftermath of that. It's not a bad thing, but it's an incomplete thing. Acts chapter 19, verse 1, it says, While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, Then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is in Jesus. Now, let's pause right there for a second to unpack some of what we've just read. At the beginning, we get the background for what's going on here. Um, in chapter 18, we find out that Apollos arrived on the scene. He's been going around doing his thing. Paul has looped back around to the area, and now Paul is coming through, and he's doing discipleship. And the idea we get is that as Paul is making his way through, he's finding disciples. Now, this is important. These people are the followers of Christ. Otherwise, they would not be referred to as disciples, okay? They know Jesus. But there's two things they don't know. They don't know that, well, the Holy Spirit is, is, is one that can fill them and, and dwell within them. You know, some people make the mistake of saying, oh, yeah, they don't even know what the Holy Spirit is. No, 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 not at all, um, especially if they're Jews. We really don't know what their background is, but um, that's not the issue here. The issue is one of the baptism that they received. Like I said yesterday, Apollos is out here doing John's baptism. And if you had to place John's baptism in a camp, it's for those that fear the Lord, right? It, it, it's really a Jewish thing to get down to the, to, to the bear of it, right? It, it, it's a baptism, as we've just read, verse 4. Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. Now, fast forward to what you and I might believe and should believe about baptism. We talked about this yesterday, but it resurfaces here again today. 
Y'all, like I said, there are two camps. And what it, a lot of times it comes down to is, is baptism about what we're saying to God or about what God is saying to us? I would contend it is the latter. The baptism of the New Testament, the baptism we receive of Jesus Christ, okay? The baptism that we are to give today, right now, in this new covenant is not a baptism of repentance. Why do I say this? Well, we just read it, didn't we? The baptism that we offer today is not a baptism of our public proclamation. Y'all, we have a tendency to focus far too much on the idea of rededication and on the idea of our decision and, and our, we love to proclaim things, right? If you doubt that, I mean, you're on Facebook, probably. Some of you, most of you, I think are on Facebook. There's a lot of you on Sermon Audio, but if you have Facebook, you ever been a part of a group or something where somebody says, this group is dumb. I, I thought it would be something else. I'm leaving. Yeah, I love it when people post something like, hey, you're not Delta, no need to announce your departure. You know, we love making these proclamations. We love making these public shows of thing. And I'm not, I'm not trying to, to denigrate baptism. I'm, that's not what I'm trying to do. What I'm trying to do is point you to biblical New Testament baptism. And instead of baptism of the New Testament being about repentance or some proclamation we make, what we see here is that baptism's got to be something different. So what is it? Well, I would contend, based on what we've read, that baptism is two things in the New Testament when it comes to New Testament baptism. We can keep on reading. I'll start in verse 4 again. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. And then we see next, when Paul placed his hand on him, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. There are two kinds of baptisms revealed here. Now you might say, well, where are there two? The first one is the physical baptism in the name of Jesus. What we view that as, and I believe the proper view for baptism is not that it's about repentance or some pu public proclamation. Baptism is about marking a child of the covenant or someone who has repented and accepted Jesus Christ. We know these men have already done that. He calls them disciples. They're already saved, right? Baptism is about marking an individual in the name of Jesus for the kingdom of God. It is a setting aside of that person. It doesn't save you. Um, it, it is not the means of salvation. However, it is a marking for the kingdom of God. This is why, much the same as circumcision, we baptize. Well, I say that I'm not saying that we that we circumcise our children <laughs> in a religious sense. I'm saying that, as in the Old Testament, they circumcise children. Right in the New Testament, we we baptize infants. We believe that the sign of the covenant is a marking for the kingdom of God, and therefore, as it was in the Old Testament, it is to be administered to children primarily, right? Ideally, it is believing parents that bring their child to be baptized. They are marked for the kingdom of God. Baptism doesn't save you. It simply marks you, and it gives you the promise that God is faithful, that if you believe, you will be saved. And promises are important. 
signs of promises are important. If you doubt that, go to two women, um, both of which are engaged, but one has a big old diamond ring and the other one says, well, he, he promises he's going to marry me. She's got nothing tangible. Baptism is that tangible marking. And there are spiritual ramifications to that that we're not going to even get into right now because that's not the point. But that's the first baptism that Paul is talking about here. The second baptism is that of the Holy Spirit. Now, we need to be very careful here. While we, the followers of Christ, men that are ordained, right, ministers, baptize, right? This is the right that we are given and it, 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 as being ministers called by God, called by Christ Jesus to be ministers of the gospel. We baptize with water. This is the baptize, uh, the, the baptism that John the Baptist would point forward to. This is the baptism that others point to, right? This is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And while as a minister, I baptize with water, I do not baptize with the Holy Spirit. And the reason I do not is because the Holy Spirit is not mine to wield. Ultimately, Jesus is the one that baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And that's not about water. Now, Paul lays his hands on these men. Something is going on here that is not regulative for today in terms of one individual giving somebody else the Holy Spirit. Look, go back to the basics. The Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and from the Son. The Holy Spirit, while working through you and I as the followers of Christ, we do not give the Holy Spirit his orders. We do not wield the Holy Spirit. Instead, we yield to the Holy Spirit. John chapter 2, the Spirit blows where it will, proceeding from the Father and the Son to glorify the Father, to glorify the Son, to accomplish the will of the Father and the Son. And what you have here, you have a physical baptism going on with Paul, this baptism with water that is physical, marking them in the name of Jesus. Okay? And then you have a spiritual baptism. And the fact that Paul lays his hands on them is a unique, is a unique set of circumstances. Y'all, I say this, it's hard to, to, to articulate this, but there's a part of me that very much wishes that I had the power to impart the Holy Spirit, because that means anybody that I could touch would ultimately be a follower of Christ, right? <laughs> I mean, baptism, that would be something called baptismal regeneration. And it's, on one hand, I kind of wish I had that power, but then knowing myself, I don't wish I had that power because that would mean that salvation was the work of my hands. Salvation is the work of our hands, when instead salvation is the work of God from start to finish to completion, right? Um, now, the fact that you have Paul doing this, this is the apostle. This is something going on in the book of Acts. This is not, I'm not talking about the gifts. I'm not talking about the aftermath that we read about. But this, in terms of the impartation of the Holy Spirit, this is not regulative for today because you and I never command the Holy Spirit. You and I can never keep the Holy Spirit in a box to dispense the Holy Spirit. And to that end, y'all, this is why, for instance, somebody sent me not too long ago a, a job posting. Not that... Let me be clear, right? It was it was an illustration of something, right? Because we were having a talk about some of the abuses of the Holy Spirit. And they sent me this job application that required the pastor. Now, this was one of the job requirements for the pastor. And by the way, this isn't a denomination I, I could never 
ever join anyway. I could never get into it because of my beliefs. Anyway, anyway. So the job requirements for the pastor was that he must possess all spiritual gifts and be able to teach all spiritual gifts, including tongues. Y'all, read between the lines of that. What that job description is saying is that that pastor must have a, a set of reins on the Holy Spirit and be able to dispense the gifts of the Spirit. There's a reason they're called the gifts of the Spirit. Right? They, they don't belong to us. We are not popes. Okay, We do not dispense God's grace and we do not dispense the Holy Spirit. So that's what we're really getting at here, that we see these two forms of baptism. Physical baptism in the name of Jesus, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is a spiritual, water baptism in the name of Jesus, which is important, but spiritual baptism of the Holy Spirit. Therein you find gifting. Here, what did we find? It says, when Paul placed his hand on him, the Holy Spirit came on them, they spoke in tongues, and they prophesied, right? You know, immediately, right off the bat, gifts of the Spirit being evident because that baptism of the Holy Spirit is an indwelling of the Holy Spirit, right? And what we find here is a receiving of the Holy Spirit by these men. Yeah, and, and let me just address something else too, y'all. Like I said, we got to be careful with this. There were about 12 in all, verse 7. This is not given to us as some sort of justification for 12 officers in a church or 12 people need to get saved. Or Be careful with that numerology stuff. Remember, Luke in Acts, right, it, it, in the gospel according to Luke, Luke loves to include little details like this because he's showing that this is an eyewitness account, okay? He's showing, you know, details of what's going on to add validity to his message. Don't read into the 12. Don't say, oh, this is like 12 tribes of Israel. And then, it, no, it's just, it's just 12 dudes. Now, what is the application of this? Well, the application of this, first off, is having proper theology. And y'all should know me by now, especially those of you that are at Old Providence. That theology, as I've said, is so extremely important. But as I've talked about before, you can love theology so much that you know, that's your focus, and, and theology can become your idol. You can be systematized down to the point that you're not open to the Word of God, and, and all human systems have errors. I happen to believe that I, I hold to a system, and, and I am open to being corrected and that sort of thing, but nevertheless, it's a system devised by men. The application for today is really examine what you believe and why you believe what you believe. And furthermore, examine your life in light of the Holy Spirit. What we see here is Paul placing grand importance. In fact, kind of deal-breaker importance. Now, it's not a matter of salvation. It, it's not. It's, it's really not. Because he refers to them as disciples first, okay? It's not about that. But it's a matter of richness. It's a matter of blessing. It's a matter of living a life that you're called to live. And you live that life by yielding to the Holy Spirit, by being open to how the Holy Spirit can work in you. And furthermore, there is another application. If you've never been baptized, really and truly, and, and, and let me be clear, I'm talking about baptism, Trinitarian baptism in the name of Jesus. If you've never received that, you need to be baptized because you need to be marked for the kingdom of God. It's an act of obedience. It is an act wherein God... Uh, 
gives us the blessings of his covenant promises. Is it absolutely necessary for salvation that you be baptized? No, the thief on the cross was never baptized, okay? And that's one example. There are loads of others. But just because it's not required doesn't mean it isn't a wonderful thing. And if you've been baptized, you don't have to be rebaptized, okay? But again, there's a calling for us here. Consider what we found. We found Paul coming across these men, asking them what their background is, what they've experienced. And then we see a receptivity and we see the Lord transforming these men. So are you open to the Holy Spirit? If you are, then have you asked the Spirit to show you what he wants you to do? Have you asked the Spirit to show you what God has for you? Pray so. Um, and if you've never been baptized, call me. We can fix that. Um, you'd have to become a member of the church, of course, but nevertheless, that's for another conversation. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you so much for this time that you have given to us, and we pray for your blessings in it. We've dealt with some weighty things here as we've talked about baptism, and um, it's my prayer that things are more clear, even though maybe this is the first time somebody watching this has heard that there's more than one kind of baptism. Um, instead, uh, Father, I pray that it would add clarity and commitment, that it would spur us on towards yielding to your Holy Spirit. Thank you that you dwell within us by your Spirit. Thank you that you don't leave us alone. Let us glorify and praise your name. And I pray it all in Christ's name. Amen. Well, my friends, I thank you for being a part of this time. This is Thursday, so we're not going to be back again until Monday. This coming Sunday morning, we are going to be in the fellowship hall, right? We're going to be in Providence Hall at 9 o'clock and at 11 o'clock. The 9 o'clock service has all of our children's services associated with it, nursery, children's church, that sort of thing. Sunday school is at 10 o'clock. Okay, and then we have our second kind of more truncated worship service, which is at 11 o'clock. So uh, keep those things in mind, and we will look forward to seeing you Sunday, Lord willing, if you are local. If you are local and you've never worshiped with us before, we'd love to have you. Um, otherwise, get yourself in a Bible-believing church. Until we meet again, take care. <laughs>